Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. This week, our guest is Kelly Wallace, who you know from Cubs Twitter, if you follow Cubs Twitter. She uh, contributes to Locked on Cubs, writes a few other places, and she's starting a new website called Expanded Roster, which we will talk about in the interview. Uh, We have a pretty good conversation. Uh... She gives her case for John Lackey coming back to the Cubs, which I don't know if I agree with, but she does make a pretty good case for it. Uh, We talk about the Cubs All-Stars, Wilson Contreras, Javi Baez, and John Lester. And of course, what you all came here to talk about, the Cubs players' butts. You'll you'll hear about it in the interview. Um, You can follow uh, Kelly at Kelly A. Wallace on Twitter. And you probably should because it's very entertaining. And here is Kelly. The Cubs just finished a very good homestand, 7-1, and one, against some bad teams, but they uh, did what they needed to do. Still a game and a half behind the Brewers. So how are you feeling about the Cubs right now? I'm feeling actually pretty good, and um, let me tell you why. I'm feeling good because we're one and a half games back despite having played three less games than them and having gone through what I would say most fans would describe as as a series of incredibly pronounced ups and downs with regards to the, the health and performance of our roster. So I actually feel pretty good right now. Well, that's good, and... um. You know, this is like a stretch that, as I was saying, with some bad teams. Of course, the Reds, oh, oh, this year for some reason, so hard for the Cubs to play the Reds. And, you know, annoying to watch, too. It just, can we just rant about the Reds for a minute? I mean, it's it's sort of almost funny at this point. It's not because they're so agonizing to watch. The games are just so, so horrible. Um, but, I mean, when you really think about, like, going into this season, if you told me that the team the Cubs would have the hardest time putting away was the Reds, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> but here we are. Every game feels like a fight. Even the ones we win, they feel like it really could have gone the other way up until the last minute. So... Yeah. And, you know, they an interesting trend of late is the Cubs keep falling behind in all these games and then rallying late, which, I mean, I guess is good, but it's like the starting pitching has not been great lately, but you got to feel good that they're able to rally back in all these games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you think about the fact that um, generally bullpens are much less effective in the second half just because of the nature of how a 162-game season unfolds. So when you're a team that uh, has a pretty good track record of comeback wins and of scoring, uh, getting a lot of runs on the board in the late innings, you got to feel good about that continuing to be a strength and even more of an asset, actually, going into the after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, though, with... Of late, which is uh, Tyler Chatwood. What, what are we going to do about Tyler Chatwood? This what, is what are we going to do about Tyler Chatwood? <laughs> it's sad because there aren't a lot of good options. I mean, no, there's no option I feel like that everyone will be happy with, and there's no option that doesn't sort of come with a cost 
to the team. Um, I mean, again, this is all obviously assuming that you Darvish will pitch uh, again with the Cubs this year, that he's healthy and that, uh, that we can expect him back sometime around the trade deadline, if not maybe a week or two after it. Um, but until he's back, unfortunately, there's not much you can do with Chatwood unless you bring in another starter. Or, I mean, I mean, you can call up Underwood. That's sort of what I kind of want to do at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think, and I mean, what are you saying? Like, Underwood's like, he's young, so he might only pitch four or five innings. Well, what does Chatwood do now? He does the same thing, so... Exactly. And I will say, you know, I, every, I can feel my Twitter mentions getting horrible as I say this, but I will say of his 30 starts last year, John Lackey uh, went five full innings and all but two of them. So you can complain to me about his performance, but the dude would eat innings and he gave you a chance. And that, that is what I think we're not getting from Tyler because a fifth starter is never going to be, you know, you can't, you're not going to have an ACE. But somebody that'll keep you in games, that'll go five or six innings consistently, and that'll just give you a shot to win is all you can really ask for. And Tyler's not giving us that even. Well, now that you brought it up, I'm going to let you make your case for John Lackey coming back. Good, because Ryan continues to tell me I'm crazy. And you know what? For anyone who follows both Ryan and I on Twitter, you will notice that he specifically put a line into one of his articles today discouraging John Lackey fans like myself uh, from wanting him back on the Cubs. And I think that's incredibly rude, and here's why. Um, So here's the thing with John Lackey. And for the record, this is all predicated on the idea that he has continued to stay in shape. I have no idea if that's true. I have no idea if he's just accepted retirement and at this point and is just like hanging out drinking somewhere, which is entirely possible. But let's live in the world for this moment in time where John Lackey is in shape and has kept in shape and would theoretically be available to join a team uh, somewhere around now. John Lackey is incredibly good at getting out there and staying out there. What's a huge problem we have. We can't get our starters to go deep enough in games. John Lackey might give up runs, but he will stay out there and he will pitch over a hundred pitches consistently. And that'll be enough to get him through five or six innings consistently. That is a huge, huge deal, especially going into the second half, especially knowing how much we've had to use the bullpen already because of our problems with the starting rotation. Huge deal. Second of all, John Lackey, the biggest thing that everyone always says is, oh, John Lackey gives up a lot of solo home runs or John Lackey gives up a home run in the first inning every time. Okay, well, that's fine, but I would rather have that happen than have Chatwood walk two batters and then give up three consecutive doubles. I'll take a solo home run over a four or five run inning where half of the earned runs are scored because of dudes that Chatwood walked. Like that to me is incredibly frustrating to watch and it's also also incredibly bad just it's bad baseball so those are my I think my main two points of contention also he would be cheap also he's a free agent so you just have to pay him you don't have to trade anything I'm very seriously I really do think that you could justify make a strong argument for actually literally hiring John Lackey right now and keeping him in your pocket as sort of in a Monty role of like a swing starter bullpen guy through the end of September. And I'm not saying you bring him on the playoff roster, but I am saying that I think he's useful. And if he's in shape, I don't know, maybe they should give him a call. Well, 
I was in kind of a unique position last year and then this year. I seem to, whenever I'm scheduled to do a recap, I always seem to get Chatwood. <laughs> and last year, I always seem to get Lackey. So, <laughs> I'm familiar with both of them. I will say, that's the one thing I agree with you about Lackey. Because by the end, I was not, like, huge on Lackey. But well, everybody's did. last memory of him is probably the Justin Turner home yes. run, which I'm sure sours a lot of people's perception of him. Yeah, which you can't really blame on him. No, you know, I Madden mean, Wade Davis was available. Yeah, Madden put him in a spot where he was not probably going to succeed. But Right. But anyway, you know, he would give, he'd give up like three or four runs, but he would eat innings. Like you said, by the end, he would have gone six innings. Might have given up four or five runs, but he's gone six innings. Chatwood, it's like after three innings, you're like, oh, he's at 80 pitches. So <laughs> yeah. that's the end of that. So I would agree with that. But, of course, my, my idea is even more outside of the box. Carlos Zambrano. Oh, boy. Come back in the Mexican League. Yes. If he could still throw hard. I would, I would a, a billion percent pay money out of my wallet to see Zambrano at Wrigley again. <laughs> I would, that would be something that the Cubs could absolutely take money from me to, to go and see. I, I wish that he had been playing, actually, when I was down in Mexico. Uh, it would have been really cool to see him start. Uh, but unfortunately, his first start uh, with the Leones was after I left. So Yes. Oh, the cops are coming on me. <laughs> they know that uh, Zambrano is not a good option. They, no, it's probably me for saying nice stuff about Laggy. <laughs> it could be. Anyway, uh, um, yeah, but I think, I think they are going to have to make some kind of move. I don't like the idea of trading uh, David Bodie for J.A. Happ. No, uh, I think Bodie's, it's insane, honestly, to think about giving up Bodie or this early um, because I, I agree that we have a small sample size and he could end up being worse than, than what we've seen so far from him. But when you have Zobrist leaving uh, after next season oh, and you're going to need a utility guy, when Hap is a guy who constantly gets talked about as a trade piece, I mean, you run into some pretty big holes in the roster if you imagine it without Zobrist, Hap, or Bodie, or even without two of those three. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you think about uh, cutting rope on, on Bodie this early when you know you have that, that coming up next year. And, you know, again, it would just be a rental perhaps and he's not he's good and he would probably solve some of the problems we're having right now but he's he's not an ace i mean he's 35 he's not getting younger yeah and he's got like what a 440 era i mean it's not yeah he's not been great and to be fair part of that is sort of inflated by the fact that he got shelled a little bit in his last two starts but even still i mean the fact that he is getting shelled reveals that he's sort of prone to some of the problems we're having now which is early game home runs yeah and clearly I don't think they make a trade unless it, like you said, it becomes clear that um, Darvish isn't going to come back. And then, of course, they'd have to make a trade. But Right. Of course, that would leave a huge hole in the rotation that, that would need to be solved. Um, though they said he's playing catch at the field today. I, I just read that from one of the beat writers. So who knows? Maybe you, Darvish, will be fine. I believe they also said Smiley is down there playing uh, playing catch too, which is I think a lot of people forget that we have Smiley um, and that in theory, if everything goes according to the more, more optimistic projections on his health, could be available potentially as a bullpen piece before the end of the season. So, yeah, that could be an upgrade. All right, so let's get to the fun stuff. 
the all stars that the Cubs got this year. Yes. Uh, of course, John Lester. Everyone loves John Lester. Who doesn't I, love John Lester? I do wonder if he's picked up on the whole big dick energy thing that's out there. I mean, I, I did tweet it, it about him. I did tweet it at him today, um, which is probably not. I should probably be fired from all of my jobs for, for doing things like that. But uh, somehow I'm not. So people just deal with it. I hope he does. And he's really the epitome of it. Though I will say that there's a lot of EDE for the sensitive viewers um, with Wilson Contreras as well. I would argue he's very close to John in the amount of energy going on in that arena. And I'm super happy for him because I feel like he needed the fan vote. Uh, I don't, I don't think they would have gone with carrying uh, two catchers outside the starter. Uh, if it had been Posey starting, I think it probably would have been Romuto. Uh, and that's it for catchers. So I'm ha- I'm very happy for Wilson. I think Javi would have ended up in the reserves uh, one way or the other. But uh, but yeah, it's it's actually super exciting to see two Cubs position players voted in as fan starters. I'm sure everyone remembers last year was not quite so successful for us with the All Star game. So yeah, and normally I'm not like with the All Star game. I'll be like I'd rather the guys have the rest. But I, these are two guys that I really like. So I'm really happy that they made it. Well, and they're guys who it seems like it's specifically meaningful to them to be there, um, which is, I think, what makes me want them to be there. Like, just, I mean, just Wilson's reaction alone really shows you how much it means to him and and how meaningful it is in his journey. You know, because for people who aren't familiar, Wilson had a very, very long long, long road through the Cubs minor league system. And I mean, was left unprotected in the rule five draft more one, more than once. I mean, the, the idea that this guy specifically would end up being the starting catcher in the all-star game would have sounded crazy to most people a couple years ago. So I think that's something that is really great. It's really nice to see a story like that to ascend through the system and for him to end up here. Yeah, and I'm going to get more to Wilson in a minute, but can we just talk about, like, Javi? <laughs> oh, my God, everything he does is great. I, I can't even describe it anymore. And he's finally, you know, it's people were very hard on him for a while, and I understand why. But, I mean, this, I think the Javi we're seeing right now is the Javi that they thought they were getting. It's You know, he was a first-round draft pick. He was incredible. His numbers out of high school were absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, I think this is the guy that they always – thought he could be and now he's finally doing it a little later than some people probably would have preferred but you know it's so heartening to know that that was in there the whole time and that we're finally sort of reaping the rewards of being patient with him and letting him figure it out i also enjoy that there's a certain set of people out there that do not like javi Baez, and i enjoy that he's succeeding to make them feel bad I'm sure Clint Hurdle was deeply unhappy when he saw the All-Star Game roster. Yes, and I still, I know, you, I'm sure you're the same way, where you get the comments in your articles and stuff where the people who do not like Javi Baez, and it's just, it really, ugh. I had one the other day that was just somebody saying, oh, he tries to make easy plays look much more fancy than they are just to get on Sports Center. Why doesn't he just do it the right way? I'm like, really? 
First of all, though, if he's making the play, who cares? Um, I don't really care what he does, how he wants it to look or what he does. Second of all, the way he perceives uh, the game and the way he receives the ball is a little different than a lot of infielders when you really hear him talk about his approach. So I think that would probably explain why he, he tends to, to make different choices. But also, I mean, and, you know, I don't want to be that person, but I think a lot of it with Javi and with Wilson is sort of coded racist, sort of low-key um, uh, just like a, just the way that some people talk about them, sort of the words they use. Um, I would point specifically to um, some comments that were made by Bud Norris from the Cardinals uh, when he was asked in an interview about the sort of growing Latin American influence on baseball, which for the record is a good thing. Latin American baseball is incredible. Um, and said, uh, that he felt that when people get to the major league level, they should know how the game is played here in America and that he understands that for some people it's a cultural tradition or a part of the game, but he feels that at the major league level, people should learn to play American baseball, which I find incredibly offensive. Um, and I think is a gross thing to say, but I think that attitude sort of comes out when you look at guys like Javi and Wilson, they're guys, that the fans love that are exciting, but that sort of old guard of baseball can be a little resistant to their style of play. And I, you know, I think it's telling that the fans voted in the starters and that's who they chose. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to tell me next? That this stuff about Pedro Strope's hat? <laughs> somehow like that? Oh, I, and you know what's funny is it's Cubs fans who do it with Pedro sometimes, which always makes me sad. I, I There was someone complaining about his hat. One of the last times I was at Wrigley, someone sitting behind me was just like, I don't know why he doesn't fix his hat. Who, You know what? Who cares? Pedro Strope is one of the most elite relievers the Cubs have ever had and one of the most consistently elite relievers the Cubs have ever had. If you want, if I don't care if he has to wear his hat upside down. Whatever it is that's making him pitch this good is fine. Yeah, actually, that, I remember couple weeks ago the mariners wore those like uniforms where they could wear their hats backwards and stuff oh and that's that was cool. I, I just want to see the cubs do that so strope could wear his hat backwards oh, when that he would pitches be awesome. and just melt all those people down those it would be so fun to see the cubs do a theme night like that they I, the cubs have a lot of style i think anyone who obsessively follows their favorite players on instagram the way that i do would agree that you know we have a team with a lot of fashion sense a lot of style a lot of a lot of swag and i feel that the more opportunities the team gives them to show that off the better well now now we will get to wilson because mm. i've got one big grievance that i've always had but first i want to say you know the first i heard this story you know coming up the first i heard was the guy who gave me my first job writing john arguello cubs den yeah. Great John. And he I remember him telling like writing an article that there's this guy in the Instruct League, Contreras, who was becoming a catcher, that would that spent two hours straight working on blocking balls in the dirt. And he said it was the hardest working he'd ever seen anyone work. And he said, This guy's gonna be something and I I'm sure me and everyone else who read it like, Who is this? And man, it's amazing to see where he's made it. Yeah. And when you think about again, he started in the, in the Cubs system as a third baseman. I mean, he's a converted infielder. He, for all intents and purposes is still learning to catch and he's already this good. I mean, it's bananas and yeah, I, I, it takes a rare person, I think to have picked that out particularly early because there, there weren't necessarily a ton of signs in his numbers that he was going to turn out to be the player that he is right now. 
Yeah, and so now to my rant. This stuff about the framing with Wilson Contreras. I swear to God, if I hear one more person, like, <laughs> well, he's got below, he's got one of the lowest framing, you know, metrics in the league. I'm like, ah, stop it. Would you stop talking about framing? Am I crazy here? Or? Absolutely not. I mean, first of all, we all know that defensive metrics, uh, especially advanced de- uh, defensive metrics, are unreliable at best. We, the stats aren't great, and the methods for, for uh, determining them aren't great. The concept of framing in general is sort of up for debate in terms of how useful it is or isn't or how much of a difference it really makes or doesn't make. Um, so, I mean, the, the sort of focus on Wilson's framing, specifically when it comes into the conversation in regards to uh, Tyler Chatwood, especially, uh, it makes me pretty mad because honestly, I, you know, and Joe Madden has said this for the record, but it feels like people are looking for a way to blame somebody else. And it's not really fair to blame Wilson because dudes aren't throwing strikes. I mean, if you want framing to matter less than just throw better pitches. I mean, there's nothing Wilson can do to frame a ball in the dirt or a ball that's so high that he has to jump off his feet to get it because Chatwood has yet again, completely lost control of something. I mean, they're like, if you really actually watch these games, you'd probably understand a little better. Not you, obviously the, the larger you, if people watch these games, I think they would understand that there's not a lot that Wilson can really do to help himself there. Yeah, and like, first of all, I we I'll just say this with Chatwood, I don't care who the what you would do. There is no way to make those pitches look better when he skips them up there. No, that's just impossible. But the other thing is like the whole idea of framing is it's like it's such a human like the umpires like if you get a bad umpire, it doesn't matter if you frame or not. He'll call bad pitches strikes or good pitches strike. It's all depends on who the umpire is, and that's I think it's just such a hard. How can you quantify? what impresses an umpire. Yeah, it's, it's dumb. And it's also dumb because the idea of framing as a stat sort of accepts the idea that pitches will never be called balls or strikes based entirely on whether they are balls or strikes. And I understand that as long as we have um, the wonderful human element in uh, home plate umpiring, that's not going to change. Um, but I, I would say that um, – that as the technology develops, framing will become more and more irrelevant because I, I don't see a world in which we rely entirely on the human uh, umpire forever, especially considering that uh, an automated strike zone is something that Manfred has already said he's, he's willing to look into and discuss. So I think eventually when the technology catches up, that's the direction things are going in. But I mean, framing in general is still sort of I don't know. It's hard to quantify. I mean, one of the things people said about Chris Jimenez was that he was a great defensive catcher and that his framing was good and that he could potentially be someone who could help Wilson there. Um, And, you know, he was completely underwhelming. I don't think his framing made much of a difference at all in terms of uh, how pitch, how pitches were being called and how the the pitchers he was catching were faring with the ump. I, you know, again, I just have seen no evidence to convince me that that framing stats are accurate enough or important enough to be a genuine knock on Wilson as a catcher. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one then. that, (laughs) That bugged me a lot. 
I mean, that I would be. it's important that people talk about it too, because nobody's really, I don't think anyone really talks about how, um, how bizarre it is that we've sort of made framing this huge deal now and made these stats that we have available to us on framing seem like they're incredibly accurate or perfect because it, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. Well, I did that, you know, at the start of the year, people were talking about Wilson was so bad. So I looked at the stats and he was near the bottom of the list, but then I looked like from like the last four years. And people that were number one in framing or in the top ten in framing one year were dead last the next year and vice versa. I'm thinking, if this is such an accurate stat, there shouldn't be this kind of wild swing back and forth. Right. And if framing is a legitimate skill, then you would think there wouldn't be that much variation either. I mean, if a player is good at framing, by logic, since it allegedly is a skill they would be at the top of those charts every year because they would be good at framing. But it clearly is, it's just, I don't know, I, I agree with you. I, I think the whole concept of it and the way that it's treated is, is completely misguided. Exactly. And, you know, I'll just finish with this. Like, St. Yadier Molina, who everyone says is the greatest catcher ever, was like in the bottom half a couple years in framing. So... And he is the example everyone points to when you say framing and intangibles as a catcher. Everyone always says that's that's Yadier Molina, and that's why he's you know so great is all the you know intangibles and the stuff you can't measure or whatever. But I mean, yeah, it, it just it shows you that even the skills that people say are his strongest suits are maybe in doubt. And I'm not I'm not a Yachty hater for the record. Don't yell at me, Cardinals fans. I, I really do like and respect Yadier Molina for the most part, especially for what he does off the field. Um, but I think you would be hard pressed to to genuinely argue that he's a better catcher right now than than Wilson or than even a lot of other catchers on other teams. Yeah, well, don't worry. Cardinal fans are already mad at me, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how many of them would listen to this podcast specifically, but if they are out there, I'm sorry. I do respect Yadier Molina a little yeah, bit. But I, I already did my – me and uh, the aforementioned Ryan Davis already did a little rant about Dexter Fowler last show I had. So. Oh, yeah, yet another example of the wonderful management over at the Cardinals uh, doing their players a massive disservice. I'm team Dexter, free Dexter Fowler. I, I know there's no space for him in Chicago, really, but I hope he finds another team where he is appreciated. Yeah, get refugee status somewhere. I'm, any team would be lucky to have him. You know, there are a lot of teams in the league that could do a lot worse, and he's a great clubhouse guy by all accounts. So I, I hope he gets out of St. Louis. I hope he needs maybe just a change of scenery and can get back on his feet. Yeah, well, I'll ask you one more question, and then I'll let you plug um, your new <laughs> website. Um, okay, so the Brewers, head of the Cubs right now, a lot of trade rumors surrounding the Brewers. Yes. So should we be worried? What are they going to do? Yes and no. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want them to get any of the people they're rumored to get because I want them to, to not be good. Um, but in reality, if I'm the Brewers GM, I would definitely be looking to make, uh, make a big statement to this year. Um, I mean, their record is good. They have, they're better than they were last year. I mean, the, the two big ones, everyone says they need starting pitching and everyone says, you know, now everyone is saying they're one of the front runners on Manny Machado. To me, I don't think Manny Machado helps them that much. Um, Manny Machado's great. Uh, he's great bat. But one of the reasons they've been winning is their infield defense has really been elite this year, which is surprising considering what it was last year. 
but uh, Manny Machado is actually worth negative value as of right now defensively. So that would be a, a knock for them. But also their problem isn't necessarily having power hitters. They have a lot of power hitters on their team right now. Um, I, I think the bigger need for them is, is pitching. <laughs> and I don't really know why they don't seem to be actively connected in trade talks to any of the, the better starters that are available but seem deeply connected to Machado. So that's sort of strange. Um, yeah, I do think we'll run over them in the second half. Um, not, not badly. I do think it'll be a little more of a dogfight than it was last year, but uh, they're not built for 162 games to me as of right now, specifically the pitching. Uh, and now with Suter on the DL, it just feels like they need starters to get deeper into games and they need the bullpen to keep performing the way it's performing now. And I think without major ads in the, in the rotation or in the bullpen, that's not very likely to happen. So that's my deal with the brewers. That's, that's what I would hope. If they were smart, I think they would go for any starter, really any, any even middle of the, like even lower end starter. And again, go get a bat in a guy like, I don't know, Whit Merrifield, who I'm incredibly hype high on right now. And I think any team, any team, if they're willing, to, if the Royals are looking to give up with Merrifield, any team should be in on him. He's incredible. One of the most underrated players right now should have been an all-star in my opinion. Yeah. I'm still shocked that they didn't try to sign, you know, Arietta or Darvish or anything that in the off season, I'm still shocked by that. Knowing what Arietta got too, especially the, the the idea that they weren't willing to match or beat what Philly gave him is sort of baffling to me because he would have been a real difference maker for them. Yeah. Well, enough about our Brewers podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm going to finish with this. Talk a little bit about expanded roster, and it's it's a great idea. It's just tell Thank those you. people a bit about it. Okay, well, uh, hi, everybody. Uh, so Expanded Roster is my new website that is going to be launching at the end of the summer, specific date to come in the next week or two. Uh, and basically, our whole goal was to create a new sports outlet and a sort of an online publication that gave more people a chance to, to write about baseball and to talk about baseball and um, to increase the level of representation for women, for people of color, for trans people, like all these people who really do not get hired right now to write about sports who are incredibly talented. Um, that's one of our biggest priorities is to just increase the diversity and representation in sports media. Um, and then another one of our big priorities is to talk about sports in a way that's relevant um, and to talk about a lot of the stories that maybe don't get play in the sort of national, larger national sports media or in the, the sort of beat writing that everyone's familiar with in their local papers. Um, and that's not to discredit a lot of the amazing work that they're, that people are doing right now, but it, there is a void to fill. Um, and that's kind of where we come in and want to step in. Uh, and I think maybe our starting sort of the stories we're starting out with sort of reflect that mission. Um, one of the big things we did that I've been talking about a lot on Twitter was um, I went down to Mexico for about a week uh, to spend some time uh, with Liga Mexicana and go to their, uh, essentially their championship game uh, and their all-star game, which was the following day. Um, and for the record, that was incredible. Um, it was a lot of fun. I can't wait for all of you to read about it and hear about it. It was really amazing. 
Um, and now I need to go back to go see Zambrano down there, <laughs> clearly. Um, I mean, we have some great stuff. We talked to um, Steve Ciszak, who is the uh, patron saint of our other main cause, which is uh, the promotion of high socks in baseball. Should be mandated as a uniform, if you ask me personally. Um, so you can definitely look forward to Steve running you down why they are actually genuinely important to winning games. Well, that's, that sounds pretty good. It is pretty good. It is pretty good. Steve's great. Steve's a great guy and he was very game. But for those of you who are actual baseball nerds, don't worry. We didn't just talk about socks. We also got into the very complicated mechanics of his delivery and how he thinks that's going to play out for him for the rest of the season. So there will be real baseball content also. Okay. The fun (laughs) stuff is good too. So. Yeah, I mean, again, it sort of comes down to the fans. I feel like there's not a lot of baseball media that's really in touch with the sort of vibe and the interests of fans that I've met and that I talk to and that I enjoy, for the most part, interacting with on on Twitter. You know, there's a whole segment of the sports fandom that is funny and sort of deadpan and, and smart and sarcastic and just all of these great things, and I don't think that that's really reflected that there's no outlet that really conveys that sort of attitude and that fun. And that that's really what I would like expanded roster to be. Well, actually that's kind of what I try to do on my podcast too. I'm just looking for interesting people off like Cubs Twitter. And just cause I think that there are a lot of interesting people out there and, I don't think they get as much play as they should get. And Cubs Twitter is good for the most part. I know we get a bad rep, but there are a lot of really great people on Cubs Twitter. Really surprisingly impressive. I know that we can get a little ornery and, and angry when things aren't going our way, but it's a high-quality Twitter fandom. Yes. All right. Well, I'll ask you one more quick question. So sure. So you talked about uh, John Lester and certain things giving you energy. Uh, can, we, can I bring up your list of the top – Five butts. Yes. <laughs> yes. The one thing this is like might become my calling card, which is hilarious because it, it started out for the record as a joke on uh, a text message with a friend of mine. Uh, and she encouraged me very heavily to actually turn it into a real list. So now it is out there. If you haven't read it, just Google. Uh, I believe what we ended up calling it was a lesbian's definitive guide to the butts of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, so Google that and you can check out what we're talking about. I just thought I would bring that up because I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I, you know, I will say that the the I, I last time I was at a game, I was sitting in the the front row, and I, I made a very loud joke about the list unintentionally, uh, unintentionally loud, not knowing that uh, Ian Happ was standing about three feet beside me. Uh, and heard it, and uh, he he had made a very interesting face, but did laugh. So I will share that. That is the first time I've told that story anywhere, so that's an exclusive. Uh, I loudly embarrassed myself by making a joke about the butt list in front of Ian Happ, and he found it to be funny, but also probably strange. Yes. Uh, Ian Happ is on the list, by the way. He's very ranked very highly, and if you disagree, you're wrong, and you haven't spent enough time looking. Okay, well, I will. Uh, you're the expert on this, so <laughs> I put in a little, a lot of research, a disconcerting amount of research. Yes. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. I'll come back anytime. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. Remember, you can follow me at sth eighty five on Twitter if you're interested. 
Uh, if you have a question for Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast, you can email me at holycowpod at gmail. Holycowpod at gmail. And I will, if you, you know, send me a comment, I'll try to put it on the air. Um, you know, if you, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you do subscribe to it on iTunes, you can rate and review it and let me know that people are listening. So we will have another episode soon. Thank you for listening.